Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 is going to be this morning, starting in verse 21. And if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have ushers who would love to get a Bible into your hands. If you didn't bring your Bible, you forgot your Bible, please put your hand up. If you don't own a Bible, then for sure get your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. As you're turning to Galatians chapter 4, um, have you ever been in a place where, where you had to introduce yourself? You had, you had like 15 or 20 seconds and people say, hey, nobody here knows who you are. Could you tell us who you are? And you, you have that, that short period of time to sum up who you are. Like, well, where do you begin? Do you talk about your job? Do you talk about your family? Do you talk about your school? Do you talk about your hobbies? Like, how do we take that time? What do we say about ourselves? I mean, who we are, what we would call our identity, plays such a huge role in our life. I mean, think about it. It starts when you're so young, doesn't it? Were you the firstborn? Or, or, or were, were you the baby of the family? Were you the, the dreaded middle child, right? I don't know. Well, which, which one were you in there? Were you the artsy kid? Or were you the athletic kid? Or were you the, the smart kid? Or did you have a nickname? Maybe it was a great nickname and you loved it, or maybe it's a nickname that you didn't like and you even think about it now and it begins to bring hurt to your heart. And then we hit our teen years, right? And, and identity gets even more complicated when we get into our, our teens. And in fact, there was a book I just read recently where a, a person came into a classroom of little grade ones and asked them, hey, how many of you here are artists? And the entire class put their hand up. We're all artists, Right? They then went into a, a high school class and asked the high school class, how many of you here are artists? And one or two kind of sheepishly put up there. It gets more complicated, doesn't it? As you hit those teen years, and you start to worry about different things and, and clothes become more important and style and appearance become important. And, and hey, where do I fit on the social ladder of who I am here with all my peers? And, and then you hit young adulthood. And then you begin to have freedom to choose what your identity You're like, okay, I was raised this way, and this is what my parents kind of poured into me, but now I, I kind of can venture out on my own, and, and who am I really? Then you grow into adulthood, and still that question drives us, does, does our work become our identity? Is, is it our family? Is that where we find who we are? Is it, is it our relationships? Is, is it, well, am I single? Am I married? Then you hit the empty nest phase. And suddenly your, your identity's shaken up again, isn't it? You go, well, well, who am I now? My, my, my kids are all gone. Who are we as a couple now that, that our home is in a different place? And, and our identity, who we are, it feels like it's in crisis most of the time. And our identity is going to drive how we live our lives. And Paul here this morning is going to show us that, that how we live our lives, how we live out our lives begins at this place of identity. And he's going to lay out for us two different paths, two paths that, be, paths that begin at two different places of identity. And then the, these paths, whether you choose one path or the other, determines where you're going to go, how you're going to live your life. Will you choose Living by the promise of God or living by your own efforts. 
We've seen throughout this whole series, walking through Galatians verse by verse, that there's this identity that we can have in Christ. When you repent, when you give your heart and your life to Christ and say, I'm no longer about me, I'm now all about Jesus Christ. When you respond to that gospel, saved by God's grace, that you're changed. And your identity shifts now from being just just who you were to now being a child of the king of the universe. And now Paul is going to jump back into Old Testament history and begin to lay out for us, hey, here's how this plays out. And really simply what he's been saying all along, what he's going to be saying this morning, what we're going to jump into God's word and hear this morning is, is pointing out, hey, who are you in Christ? Because if you're a a child of God, if you are in Christ, then you're a child of promise. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning. It's this. If if you really are a follower of Christ, a child of promise, we're going to see here, then live out of the promise. Live out of the promise. Christ has set you free to live in freedom. So Paul begins in verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? It's like Paul saying these people have come in and said, Hey, you need the law. The law is so important. It's all about the law. And he has like this this princess bride moment where he says, You keep using that word law, but I don't think you know what it means, right? That's what he's saying. You keep keep saying the law, but I I don't, like you guys even understand what you're talking about. Then he goes on, he's verse 22, for it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children, but Jerusalem above is free, and she's our mother. What is Paul talking about? Do you read that? What what is he saying? What's he going? Here's what he's doing. He's laying out two paths. He's laying out two histories, two ways to live, two places where your origin of identity can begin, and it's going to determine what your life will look like. See, what's happening is you've got these these people coming into this church in Galatia, and they're saying, hey, hey, listen, it's great that you've got this whole Jesus thing, but hey, we were born into Abraham. Abraham was our father. These Jewish Christians are saying this to these pagan Christians. He goes, Abraham was our father. We're kids of the promise. You guys, you guys were pagans. You're kids of like Ishmael. You're kids of the slave woman. You don't have the same identity we've got. And if you want it, you're going to need to do a bunch of stuff to be able to come into this family. We've been following after Abraham for thousands of years, going through all these rituals. So you, because you're not even in the family, man, you got to do even more if you want to come in. It's like somebody coming into our church. And they stumble in broken, messed up, full of sin and shame from all bad choices they've had. And they, they hear the gospel for the first time. They hear that that Jesus actually lived a perfect life that you couldn't live. And although you're separated from God and your sin and shame, that Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live. And then he died in your place, taking all your sin and shame, taking God's full wrath that we deserve. Jesus takes it all. He then raises from the dead and, and he conquers sin and death. And by bringing your sin to Christ and yourself and saying, I'm done with me. I want all of you. You are saved by the grace of God. And you hear that. 
And that person says, man, I want to follow Jesus with my whole life. Now, now what should we say in that moment? Hallelujah. Welcome to the family. Praise God. Let's walk with Jesus together. But what can happen, what happened in this church here in Galatia, and and what can happen in even our church here today is that that someone does that and we say, hey, yeah, um, that's nice that you want to follow Jesus. But if that's really going to happen, you're going to need to clean yourself up a little bit. You need to take care of all this stuff that you brought in here this morning. And you need to, if you want to be part of our club, then you better take care of these things. And, and what happens in that moment is we say to somebody, you better partner with God in this salvation. You better do your part in this because God's going to need you to do your thing. And, and I mean, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? Yeah, the Bible doesn't say that, right? Your grandma said that. The Bible doesn't say that, all right? So that can go on the whole cross-stitch, cleanliness is next to godliness, all right? Cross-stitch that on the pillow kind of theology, right? But that's not biblical. It isn't God helps those who help themselves. Listen, there are things that we do partner with God, all right? God calls us on mission as a church. God calls us to live out the gospel, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community as we reach out into Muskoka, into Perry Sound, across the nations, and, and we're called to do that. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I've worked harder, worked harder than anybody on this mission by the grace of God that's at work in me, he says. So there are things that we partner with God in, but listen, never for your salvation. You don't partner with God for your acceptance. You don't partner with God to earn his favor. And and so here's this struggle. And these preachers and these people in the church were coming alongside these Galatian Christians going, yeah, 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 Paul says you're children of Abraham, but you have a long way to go if you really want to be children of Abraham. You can't just come in here and say, hey, because of Jesus, now I'm a child of Abraham. There's some things you have to do. And Paul begins to lay out the truth. He goes, no, 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 no. There were two sons. One born in an ordinary way and one born of a promise. So what's Paul talking about here? What, what history is he referring to? He's, he's talking about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and he's talking about Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael. Let, let me catch you up to the, what's going on. In Genesis 12, Abraham, 75 years old, his wife, 65 years old, she was barren. They had no kids, couldn't have kids. And God comes to Abraham and promises him that he will have more kids and he could count the number of stars in the sky. And he says, listen, you're going to have all these descendants and Abraham from you, from your line is going to come one who will be the savior of the world. That the Messiah, that Jesus would come from his line. Now he had no kids at that time. But he believed in the promise. And 11 years go by, still no kids. So here he is, he's, he's 86 years old. His wife is not getting any younger. And so Sarah, his wife, says to him, hey, hey, Abe, like, like it's kind of the custom in our culture that if you don't have a, an heir, you don't have a son, that you can take my maidservant, and she can be kind of like a surrogate mom. You can go have sex with Hagar, and we can have a son. Abraham says, okay. Husbands, this is one of those times, don't listen to your wife, all right? 
All right, God, God gives us our wise because they're good partners in, in life and they're usually wise about things. This was not a good, wise thing and Abraham does it. He, he steps in and says, you know what? I'll take over for God. Thanks for the promise, God, but I'll probably do my part because you're not handling it so well. Steps in and Ishmael is born. Now God speaks to Abraham again though. When he was nearly 100 years old, his wife pushing 90, and he says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Abraham says, yeah, yeah, look, God, I already took care of that. I've got a son. It's Ishmael. Here we go. We're on the way. And God's like, no, 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 not Ishmael. Verse 23 says Ishmael was, was born in the flesh. It was this, this human attempt to bring about a, a promise of God. And, and so God then miraculously provides for Sarah. I mean, this was nothing but God's grace on Abraham and Sarah. You, you don't see 90-year-old women in Lamaze classes, right? This is a miracle of God. Ishmael, born by human effort. But Isaac, again in verse 23 here, was born through promise, Paul says. This is God doing it. So what do we see? Abraham heard this same promise decades ago. He heard God say this, and yet he didn't live out of the promise. And this is what the Galatian church is struggling with. What we can get so trapped up in is that we rely on our own efforts when God says, no, but I've given you a promise. Isaac is, is totally God's doing. Abraham took it into his own hands, and he has Ishmael. Isaac was grace. Ishmael was works. Salvation, who we are in Christ, it's a gift by grace alone. When we strive for that acceptance, when we try to work towards God, towards salvation, all we're doing is creating Ishmaels in our life. We've been promised an Isaac. Paul's laying out this contrast in verses 22 to 26. He's saying that there was a slave woman and a free woman. There was a, a promise that, that came and there was a, a work of the flesh. He says, the Ishmael came from the slave woman from Hagar and came. And he says, it's, it's Mount Sinai kind of thing. It's, it's a covenant of the law. It's, it's this whole law thing. And then the law was put in place not as a way to save us, but as a way to point us to our need of a savior because there's no way we could keep the law. You can't live at Mount Sinai. You die there. He says, there was this earthly Jerusalem represented by Ishmael and Hagar, but there's a, a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly Jerusalem. So there's, there's two ways you can relate to God. You can relate to God through law or through grace. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are kids of Hagar and there are kids of Sarah. And Paul speaking to these, these Judaizers, these guys who came into the church to say, no, you guys aren't sons of Abraham because you haven't done enough stuff. And, and he says, hey, hey, you guys are coming in here adding to Jesus. You're actually not being children of Abraham right now. You guys are acting like children of Hagar. You're Ishmael people. Think of how shocking that would be for these Jewish Christians. These people who put their whole hope, their whole identity in, no, we're children of Abraham. And now, now Paul comes and goes, actually, no, you're children of Ishmael the way you're acting. It's shocking. It'd be like you're in a conversation and somebody says, man, I just love how Americans are the best at hockey and making maple syrup. And they say sorry better than any other country. You're like, what? No. 
That's us, we're Canadians, we say sorry. Right? Sorry for yelling. What, right? like that, that, that's what we do. And, and Paul's coming in, he's going, hey, 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 you Jewish guys, you think you got, no, no, you guys are like Ishmael. They go, but we go to church, we, we serve, we give, we don't smoke or drink, we don't watch rated R movies that aren't about the crucifixion, we don't do any of that stuff. Paul says you're Ishmael. God's word calls us Ishmael. Not living out of the promise. We're living out of the flesh. We're trying to earn this gift. And every time we try to earn the gift, it leads to slavery, it says. When we forget who we are, when we forget grace and the promise that, that God gave us in Christ, when we start to put our hope in anything else, when I start to put my hope for fulfillment in how I act or how I look or how I'm perceived by other people or how much stuff I can bring around me or, or who I am at school or work or online or, or wherever, listen, it leads to slavery every time. When you start to, to, to try to achieve those things, you start to try to achieve freedom in anything else but Christ, it leads to slavery because what happens is when you can't achieve it, it leads to anger and despair and bitterness. And when you can achieve it, when you do actually get the, hey, this is working for me now, what to do? It leads you to do more. You, you, don't, you don't promote yourself out of slavery. If you're a really good slave, you just get more things to do in slavery. You could never serve that taskmaster enough. We go back to that sin, hoping that it will provide hope. We go back to those things that may look like good things, but hoping they give us peace and hope. And so what happens, we become, we become slaves to the opinion of other people. We become slaves to the, our own opinions. Why? Because we stop living out of the promise. And Paul says, listen, if you know Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of Jerusalem above. This heavenly city. Because that's your birthplace, that's, that's your motherland, that's your identity, and, and so don't, don't live in slavery. Live out of the promise. Because here's what happens, our, our second point this morning, when we do that, living in promise brings joy. Well, when we live out the promise, it doesn't put us into slavery, it actually leads us to joy. Because what are we trying to do? We're going after things to cover up our shame. And the Galatian Christians, like any of us, they hear this promise thing and they approach it going, but what about the shame that I carry? And the Galatian Christians would have grown up in a pagan culture. It was a cruel culture. I mean, so contrary to the promise they're now hearing, this, this first century Galatian who would, who would have heard this promise of hope and life in Christ. I mean, they're in a culture where when, when, when epidemics would come through their city, like things like the plague would come through, you would take your loved ones who were sick and you would throw them out in the street. Because, man, I'm not getting what you've got. And then people of the promise come in. People who know Christ, what do they do? They, they love and care for those who are sick. They, they give their lives to it. In, in that culture, if you had daughters that were born to you, you, you actually, it was just part of the culture. I mean, if it's not a son, you know, you can just leave it out to die. 
There was, there was no, no, no equality of man and woman. There was, they, they didn't value women at all in that culture. And you would come now to the, these, these people who call themselves people of the promise. And they said, every life is valuable. And Christianity gives, gives dignity to all life, to, to all women and children. And, and, and so these Galatians would come and they would see this and hear this. And my guess is they would come just with this past full of shame. I tell you, the Bible teaches that each one of us have this deep sense because of brokenness and sin, this deep sense of nakedness and shame. And so we try to cover ourselves. We, we try to look attractive. We, we try to be successful. We hope that we're well thought of. And we, we hope we have a good family around us. And, or we hope that, well, you know what, I can do, I can be whoever I want. I can get whoever I want to, to love me. And, or I can just maybe numb this feeling of nakedness and shame by distraction or by addictions. And we desperately try to cover up this shame. And then the gospel comes. This promise comes, it says, listen, you're not saved by your record, but by Christ's record. You're not saved because of what you've done, but by what Christ has done for you. And in, in spite of everything you've done, in spite of all the guilt and shame and mistakes, all of that, in spite of all that, you're now children of God through Christ. You're a child of Abraham. I love this next verse, verse 27. Paul here, he's quoting Isaiah 54. He says this, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. He gives this verse just filled with promise. Uh, th this verse here says a couple of things to us then as we are looking, okay, who am I? What's my identity as a child of promise? Well, first is this, your shame is gone. I mean, God brings life where there was no life. He, he brings joy in a place where it doesn't seem, there can never be joy here. And God says, no, that's where I'm bringing joy. When everything around looks impossible, but I'm, I'm barren, I've got nothing to bring. And he says, no, that's where my promise is going to break through because I don't care what you've done. God says, I don't, I don't care if you've been a murderer. I, I don't care if you've been to the depths of, of depravity and sin and made mistakes that, that people, if they even knew who you were sitting here, you'd think, man, they'll be shocked by it. I, I don't care if you were living at the very gates of hell. If you come to Jesus and not relying on yourself, not saying, I'm going to clean myself up, but you come to Jesus and say, I have nothing to bring to the table but all this sin and shame. My hands are empty. I'm just going to cling to you, Jesus. You have more joy than the fertile person, it says. You have more joy than the beautiful person. You have more joy than the person who seems to have it all, but they're striving in human effort, trying to cover up their shame. He says, listen, no, no, more will be your children. More will be your joy. Your shame is gone. Here's the second thing that this verse tells us, that, that, that there's true joy found in this promise. There's true joy found in this promise of I'm going to pursue Christ and, and seek after him. And because I seek him, there's joy that comes through that, no matter the circumstances. 
There's a story of a young woman. Her name was May Allison. In 1916, she felt God calling her to, to work in the inner city of New York to begin to build a church to bring gospel hope there. And, and so she told her fiance, she said, hey, I'm going to give my life this. I'm going to move into Harlem and we're going to start to reach out in there with the gospel. And her fiance said, listen, if you go there, we're done. I'm not going to marry you. And they said this, in fact, if you go there, not only will I won't marry you, I'm telling you, nobody will want to marry you. And she struggled with that, the, the shame of what it would look like in that day and age to be a single woman and having no kids, no husband, and, and would the world heap shame on her? And, and to, well, maybe I could forget the shame if I just forget this call that God's called me to. And, and maybe, maybe to cover the shame, I'll just grab a husband. I'll grab any husband. I'll, I'll, I won't do this, what God's called me. I'll, I'll have kids and I'll raise a family and I'll fit into what culture says is good. And then she read Isaiah 54. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. She said, I'm gonna gonna be obedient to the Lord. Uh, I'm gonna rely on what he says about me and and, and what his righteousness is. And and now, what is there? Now in Harlem, there's a gospel-drenched church nearly 100 years later. You think about, think about Paul who's writing here. Paul who, who really didn't even have a home. Paul always being beaten up. Paul who gave up a career. You got to understand, he studied under, under the, the top Pharisee of his day. He was like in the Harvard of schools for Jerusalem, and he gave it all up to pursue this life of being a hunted man, living in exile, no kids, no family to speak of, just pursuing after the gospel. And you think, man, Paul, man, you have nothing. Except what did he say to the Galatians in actually verse 19 of this chapter? He said, my little children. Paul had a lot of kids. Listen, no matter who you are, you'll be fruitful when you put yourself in God's hands, when you pursue after his promise. Paul goes on in verse 28, and he says this. He says, now you brothers, you sisters, you, you followers of Christ, now you harvest Muskoka, harvest Perry Sound. He's saying this, now you, like Isaac, are children of promise. Here's our last point this morning is this. Knowing the promise is the key to living out your identity. Knowing the promise is the key to living out your identity. It's, it's about knowing who you are. It's, it's knowing that you're a, a child of the promise. And, and if that's true, if you are a child of the promise, what will it look like? What will your life look like if you're living under grace? Here's a couple things. You, you know you're living under grace. You know you're living out an Isaac life, a, a child of promise, when the criticism of people no longer wrecks you. When the criticism of people no longer wrecks you. So yeah, yeah, my dad criticized me, my, my boss criticized me, my spouse criticized me, and, it, and it's wrecked your whole life. But listen, you're now set free. You aren't a child of Hagar anymore. You're a child of Abraham. You're a child of promise, and you have your heavenly Father who speaks over you now. So, so when you live under grace, people's criticism no longer wrecks you. 
You don't carry that with you anymore. Here's another way. How do I know I'm living under grace? You're, you're not ruled by the need for people's approval anymore. You're not ruled by the need for people's approval anymore. Why? Because it's enough that the God of the universe loves you and accepts you. Here, here's a third thing. How, how do I know I'm living under grace? How do I know I'm living a life of the promise? Here's one. You, you don't need recognition. You can come in second or third or maybe not even being noticed at all. I mean, I, I notice a little Ishmael rises up in my heart when I'm upset that I'm not recognized. Or, or maybe the other side of that, when somebody who you think is a doughhead, they get recognition. Like, they, do they not know what this person's like? How, how are they getting credit? I'm getting none. And Ishmael, 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 right? I mean, when everything's still based on performance and, and, and I need to, people to see me, I need people to recognize me, I'm no longer living under grace. It's interesting. Look at verse 29. He says, you're living as children of promise, verse 29, but just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Paul's saying this. He says, hey, listen, Ishmael people will always fight against Isaac people. Apparently, apparently, Isaac was getting a hard time from Ishmael when he was growing up. You, you can read about it in Genesis 21, and then he's, he's giving Isaac a hard time. Listen, children of the law will always struggle with children of grace. And you see this in the story of the prodigal son, right? You've got that son who says, Dad, give me everything. I'm out of here. Flips the bird to his dad, leaves home, and spends his inheritance on everything that gives him pleasure. Blows it all on this party lifestyle. He comes home broken, truly repentant, repentant before his father and before God. And his dad runs to him, hugs him, kisses him all over, puts a robe on him, gets him new shoes, puts a ring on his finger, throws him a party for this horribly performing son. And the older, rule-keeping brother hates it. Dad, I, Dad, I've always done things for you. I've done everything right. I've followed everything you said. Now, why does this snot-nosed kid get a new robe, new shoes, a ring, and a party? I've never gotten that. If you fail to ground your identity, your security, your sense of love and worth in the love of God for who he says you are in Christ, you're going to demand to be recognized by other people and you'll, it'll make you angry when you see grace lived out. Your life will be enslaved just trying to perform and performing. This, this picture of the prodigal son, it's a story of God's love for us as sinners and his grace. Nothing we do to earn it. And there'll always be older brothers who hate that plan of God. They'll hate that those filled with sin and shame, when they come and give their life to Christ, that they'll be accepted and made whole as they are. So what's Paul say in verse 30? But what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the, slave, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He says, get him out. Seems harsh, doesn't it? 
Right, so that's where we're going to start kicking out legalists, okay? So the ushers have a survey. It's an Ishmael Isaac survey. You can kind of see who you are. If you score too high in the Ishmael, we're going to ask you to leave. We're not going to do that, all right? Some of you are thinking, that'd be kind of neat to do it. No, we're not going to do it, all right? <laughs> Paul can't be saying, hey, hey, because you're being persecuted, why don't you persecute back? That's, that's not what Paul's saying here. What he's saying is, hey, if you live out this life of the law, if you embrace the Ishmael way of life, you work towards, you partner with God for this. You've got to put your effort in. When you forget the promise, it's going to lead you into spiritual slavery, emotional slavery. It's going to lead you to death. Don't jump on that train. Get that train out of here. Get rid of that thinking. And so here's what, we, here, here's what we need to do. It's not about, hey, let's find legalists and kick them out. Here's the humble approach to this. Why don't we look for the legalist in us? Take the time and go, Lord, where, where am I trying to create Ishmael's where you've already promised Isaac's? We get rid of the Ishmael in our own hearts. We, we cast those tendencies out of our own hearts. Let's stop striving for something that God has given us in a promise. Let's stop looking for hope and life and acceptance out there. But remember that God, through Christ, has provided all you need. Let's remember who God is and who we are and that Christ and God's grace has closed that gap. And he, here's what happens. Listen, our lives will radically change when we begin to live in that freedom. When we, when we begin to realize the promise of who we are, you start to pursue holiness. Your life will change. I mean, if you're not pursuing holiness right now, you don't understand the promise. You don't know who you are. Because if, if you grasp this, that you have purpose and meaning and, and love and acceptance for eternity in Christ, then you respond by saying, I want to follow him with my whole life. Love is what drives it. Our motivation for holiness and godliness is not religion, it's not performance, it's a love for God. I mean, I, I serve my wife. Not out of obligation. Does God's word call me to, to love and sacrifice for my wife? God's word sure does, right? And, and would Libby say, hey, you need to do this because God, no, but why would I do it? I do it because I love her. When I come home and my, my kids scream and yell and run and hug me and, and are so excited to see me, it makes me want to serve them because of their love for me. And I, I want to be holy when nobody else is even looking. I want to be that kind of father for them. That's what it means to pursue after God. It's because you understand, you have this, this deep desire in you because you, you get that, God, you've loved and accepted me, and, and because of that, I want to give you everything. As the worship team comes up this morning, verse 1 of chapter 5 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul now finally, after all these chapters of explaining the gospel, of, of explaining who we are in Christ, he finally gives a command and he says, stand firm. You've been set free. Stand firm. So Harvest, how, how do we live this out? Real quick, they got three ways for us to live this out. Here's the first way. How do we stand firm? We stand firm in our freedom by trusting God more than we trust ourselves. 
Rest and rely on the gospel. Trust God more than we trust ourselves. Look in your life and see, hey, where am I trying to pull an Ishmael here? Where am I trying to be like Abraham saying, well, I'll create this with God when God said, no, it's my promise for you. I mean, there's so many places we can do that, isn't there? Where we look for our hope and our, and our security. Maybe it's in your marriage. Man, if only my spouse would do this. Man, I'll do this and hope that I can get this from them. And I'll, you're creating Ishmael's. When God's word says, why don't you just love unconditionally and let your joy flow from that? Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your school. Where do you see there? You're trying to create an Ishmael where God says, but I've given you Isaac. I've given you a promise. Live in the promise. Maybe it's a ministry that you're involved in. You're finding yourself saying, I need recognition for this. Let's be a people who who remember the promise. And instead of trying to create Ishmael's in my heart and in my life, that I'll rely and settle on the promise of God. I'll rest in the gospel. Trust more in God than ourselves. Secondly is this, rest in Christ as your source of joy. Rest in Christ as your source of joy. Let's not look into performance. Let's not allow failure and success determine how good I'm going to do today. Even as James 1 says that in the midst of trials, we can consider pure joy. Why? Because we know, God, you're at work in us. You're even at work in this hard thing. So I'm going to rest in Christ as my source of joy. Here's the last way we can stand firm. It's this. Let's foster a gospel-centered culture. It's not just about us as individuals living out this promise. No, we, we do it together where, where we're authentic with each other, where we get into community together. We, we do life together. There's compassion. There's grace. We bear each other's burdens. We, we point each other to Christ. Where there's sin, we come alongside and we point someone to Christ. Where there's hurts, we come alongside and point each other to Christ. We get into this authentic culture. And listen, that, that, that's only grown through humility. If we want to see that kind of culture here in a church, it begins with humility. See, being prideful, being prideful is ignorant about who you are and who God is. That's what pride is. Humility is knowing who I am and who God is and not being confused about the two. And seeing this, this huge gap between me and God. And in humility, you see that gap, but then you see grace that bridges that gap and you celebrate that grace. That's being humble. That's what a gospel-centered church looks like. Let, let's be those kind of people. Let's be that kind of church. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that that we would be a people of promise. A people who who know the truth of, of who we are, know the truth of who you are, Lord God, and recognize the grace that brings us together. And we would live out of that truth that, that we've been set free, that we would celebrate that this morning. That my my freedom isn't found in my job. My freedom isn't found in relationships. My freedom isn't found in how I perform. My freedom isn't found in how I look. But my freedom, Lord God, is found in you. That in your name alone, Jesus, we've been set free. 
And now because of that freedom, Lord, may we never look back to slavery again. May we never find ourselves pursuing after anything else but you, but look to you alone, giving our whole life to you. We come this morning to celebrate that freedom. We come this morning to to confess where we haven't reached into that freedom. We come this morning, maybe there are those here this morning say, I want to embrace that for the first time and I want to celebrate this freedom. God, would you create in us, create in us a church of promise filled with children of promise, those who have been set free. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.